All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Leviticus 26, lesson 71. The beard is still growing. Like, who would have thought that we would have kept this thing growing? I, how's it looking, Rich? Yeah, yeah, you're looking pretty Old Testament-like. Yeah, I'm feeling very, very Pentateuchish. Is that a word? I don't think that's a word. I think we just made one. You know, we have a we have an in-house guest, a regular uh, at the same time, Miss Shelley Goodwin, uh, Rich's wife. Let's just let's give Shelley an easy question first. Shelley, who who wrote Leviticus? It wasn't you. It was Moses. It was Moses. All right, we're off to a good start. Kevin, she's already got the first one right. That's good. <laughs> Kevin, I can't take you seriously right now with your headphones on. I feel like you. Can you hear me? I sure can. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. We're, we are literally uh, almost at the end of Leviticus. We've got one word that we're using to talk about the book, and it's the word atonement. Remember in Genesis, we're using the word seed, how the, that seed points to the Messiah. In, in Exodus, we're talking about the word deliverer and how Jesus, yes, uh, is the deliverer. And then in this process, he delivers the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And then again, one word, then we're using the word for Leviticus. Uh, that one word is atonement. And what we have is how the atonement, just says, so you're all on the same page, atonement again, substitution, imputation, or uh, death, meaning he takes on our guilt, he takes on our, 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 on our sins, and he dies on our behalf. And so that's where we're at today. We have gone through the atonement for 25 chapters. In Leviticus 26, verse 1, now just so you know, you guys remember yesterday we talked about, it's really kind of fun, we talked about the calendar. Remember we talked about the Sabbath year, we talked about uh, all of the year of the Jubilee, and wh- what does that look like, and really, I don't have to pay my debts anymore on year 50? Like, why would you not want to honor this system? Well, in Leviticus 26, it continues on in speaking into the people of Israel. And what we're going to really begin to unfold is what we would call the Mosaic Covenant. It's It's conditional. What we're finding is, and one, one commentator uh, from Nelson's commentary says, you know, a good leader will always establish uh, what that condition is, what that, that covenant is. Like spell it out so that they know what their expectations is. And that's really what Leviticus 26 is. is Moses is spelling out what the Israelites are supposed to do from the Lord's perspective. You know, obviously the first perspective is you're going to establish a, a, and communicate what they're expected to do and, and refrain from doing. So like not just what they're supposed to do, but hey, by the way, you shouldn't do this as well. And then Moses also clarifies the consequences that if you do fulfill this, this is a praise of the Lord. But if you don't fulfill this, this is what will happen. And so instead of, you know, writing it down and then saying, hey, guys, good luck. Moses clearly spells out what the Lord wants. But now the question that I love and, and, and Wearsby asks this, but why should the Israelites obey? Why should they do this conditional covenant? What what What's in it for them or you know, why should they have to even even consider this? Well, now watch. It says this in verse 1. Okay, I'm going to write this down. Well, first of all, Wearsby says this. Uh, well, they have to understand why. Because they need to know because of, of who uh, God is. Okay, so in verse uh, 1, right away at the very beginning, verse 1a, and just so you know, when we say A or B, it's usually always divided. It always threw me off in seminary for a while. But A is the first part of the verse, or B is the second part. And then if you get into C and D, that's too long of a verse. And so in verse 1, it says, Do not make idols for yourselves. Set up a carved image or sacred pillars for yourselves, or place a sculpted stone in your land to what? To bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. I mean, because of who God is, I'm not these things. I am 
the Lord. Remember the whole standard? Remember we get into this constantly? He says, by the way, I don't want you to do this. Why? Because I am holy and I need you to be holy. So one of the reasons they need to be obey is just because of who God is. And then it continues on. And I, I love what uh, Wearsby continues on. Well, as it continues on, he says, because of what God did is another component. Why should we obey this covenant? Because of what God did. Okay. And that's going to be in verse two, because of what God did. Well, look what he did. He says, you must keep my Sabbaths and honor or revere my sanctuary. So if I said because of what God did and I use that as an example, anybody want to chime in? How does that tie in with that verse? Because of what God did in Sabbaths and honor my sanctuary. Any, any thoughts on just the Sabbaths part? Shelly? <laughs> creation, six days on the seventh he rested, so that's the Sabbaths. Yeah. Wow, Shelly, we should have you here more often. She's way smarter than we are. I, she is. She is. You know, obviously God established uh, Sabbath and he rested on the seventh day because of what he's done. He, he did something for six days. No, by the way, on the seventh day and even more so, guys, what did he do? He established with the Israelites. I'm giving you rest. I'm telling you, this is what you should do. So why should we do this? Because God has already given us a day of rest. So praise the Lord. We can work for six days, but because of what he established, well, let's try this. It's not going to kill us. He's not going to run us into the ground. He's going to actually give us rest in the process. And then I love this one. Why should we continue to, to follow this conditional covenant the Israelites have? Because of, this is cool, because of where God dwells. So because of who God is, because of what God has done, and because of where God dwells. I mean, he, he dwells and you revere or honor my sanctuary. I am in the midst right where... In, in the tabernacle. Because of where I'm at, that's why you can come and actually experience, you can come actually be with me in my presence. He doesn't actually make this really hard at all. And it continues on in verse 3 of Leviticus 26, verse 3. One more thing, and then we're going to wrap up with just of why they should do this. And I, I love this one. It's because of what he promised. And this will kind of lead us into really today's lesson because of what he promised says, if you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, if, okay, remember the big if? If you, what? If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, and then here we go, this is what I'm going to do. I will, it's almost like, let's make a deal. If you do this, I'm going to do this for you. The first one, he says, I'm going to give you an abundance of, of, of food supply. I am going to give you an abundance of food supply. So, okay, let me think. God is asking me to do something. One of the things he's going to do is, is oh, he's going to give me an abundance of food? Well, that sounds like pretty good. Verse 4, I'll give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. You know that that only comes from the Lord, right? We can't make it rain. We can't cause uh, little droplets to come from heaven. In fact, they tried though when they when they when they worship Baal. Baal is a storm. It's a, a rain god. And so they constantly are trying to turn to Baal, but but God is the one who does this. So if you follow what I am promising you, if you follow and remember who I am, what I've done, and where I dwell, I'm going to give you an abundance of food supply through the former and the latter rains. Well, that sounds good to me. Okay, check. Let's, let's do that one. That sounds good. Scripture continues on though. He says, but at the same time, he says, well, let me explain what this looks like even more in verse five. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until sowing time. You'll have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. 
To me, that sounds really promising. Like, oh, great. Endless amounts of grapes, endless amounts of food. And securely to me means I don't have to worry about anything. But now watch in verse six, just in case you are worried. Oh, here, here's another, here's another conditional promise I'm going to give you. I will make peace in the land. So not only am I going to give you an abundance of food, but I'm now I'm going to give you peace. He says, I'll give you peace to the land and you will, you'll lie down with nothing to frighten you. You won't even have to be worried about a bird pooping on you anymore. I will remove dangerous animals. I don't think that's probably what he's talking about. But I will remove dangerous animals from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Can you imagine like going out in some of the most dangerous environments? And he says, don't even worry about it. God is saying right now, I will give you peace if you do these things. So what I can tell you now today is, is that there's not peace right now. And if that's the case, then it means maybe, maybe down the road we're going to get to this. They're not doing these things. But God says, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you an abundance of food. I'm going to give you peace in the land. And no, no sword will pass. In fact, the, the dangerous animals, like the bears, not, not to be funny, the bears and the lions, oh my, that, those things, like they're not going to be an issue. And in fact, you remember the, the animal that um, Joseph's brothers uh, accused, uh, that animal of killing. They went back to the father and said, oh, it was a dangerous animal. In Genesis uh, 37, verse 20, that was their whole argument. Like, hey, all of a sudden, like, well, this is what it is. That, that's not even going to be an issue anymore. Man, to me, that just sounds peaceful. And in verse 7, Scripture says, you'll pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Scripture continues on. Five of you will pursue a hundred. I love this one. And a hundred of you will pursue 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Moses is saying, based on what the Lord is telling him, guys, our ratio is great. <laughs> this is awesome. Five of us, hundred of them, they're gone. A hundred, 10,000. Like that story right there, that sells. It's called the Lord. Your enemies will fall before you by, by the sword. I will turn to you in verse nine, make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. Now we're going to start talking Genesis language here. What do you mean your covenant? Well, right away, automatically I, I go to, well, first of all, I go to Genesis 12. So Shelly, if you can, we're going to test out your typing skills. Shelly, welcome to the game here. Genesis 12, one through three. Uh, and really this is that covenant that you guys that we talked about all the way back in Genesis. And the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Scripture continues on. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. It continues on in verse three. Like this is the covenant that he wants to confirm. I'm going to bless you. And for those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with content and all, watch this, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So now all of a sudden in Leviticus 26 verse nine, I'm going to confirm my covenant that I told about to Abraham. And then he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. You remember in Genesis 1, verse 28, Shelley, if you'll go there, Genesis 1, 28, this is the original be fruitful. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Like, you know, if you are my daughter right now and you're in seventh grade, you have to watch a video on how you are fruitful and multiply. And then you have to have discussions with your junior high daughter about being fruitful and multiply. Like God designed man and woman. We're going to tie everything in right now together. Man and woman, one flesh, not man and man, not woman and woman. That just doesn't work. Man and woman, when you're fruitful, God will honor that and, 
and you'll multiply and you'll, you'll fill the earth. And now in Leviticus 26, verse 9, he's saying to the Israelites, if you honor this conditional covenant, I'm going to make you extremely fruitful, which is what I told Abraham originally. Then just hang out, though, in Genesis 12. Shelley, if you go to Genesis 15, verse 5, that covenant is over and over established. That seed is established. In Genesis 15, verse 5, look at that. He says at the very end, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed that this offspring was, was going to take off. And now here we are with Moishi, with Moses, who was telling the Israelites, guys, just stick to God's game plan. And then back in Leviticus 26, verse 10, Scripture says, you will eat the old grain of the previous year. When I first read that, I was like, well, that's not a blessing. That's called leftover cereal. But relax. You will eat the old grain of the previous year and will clear out the old so that you can make room for the new. So there's two things that if I hear Moses as a leader communicating to me, I'm like, okay, Moses, you prove it to me. I need, I need to follow God and his, in his conditional covenant. You want me to sign a contract? Tell, tell me what's in it for me again. Well, what's in it for you is that you get an abundance of food supply. Well, a food, really? Lots of grapes. I love grapes. Green grapes. Red grapes. Purple grapes. Are they red or purple? They're red. They're red. And then if nobody eats the grapes, they become raisins. And then everybody's happy. And so like, I'm like, okay, this is an abundance of food supply. And then I'm thinking, that's good. But then now it says I can lie down with bears and lions and then enemies, and not even be worried because there's going to be peace in the land? Well, this sounds like a heck of a deal. He goes, well, I'm not, I'm not done yet. I got, I got more for you, God tells Moses. You tell the Israelites, I got, I got one more incredible condition. Oh, by the way, if you do these things, you will experience my presence. Like, not just laying down in a field and feeling the wind. No, you will sense my presence with you. In fact, it says in verse 11, I will place my residence among you and, and I love this, and I will not reject you. I, I think people, I'm just going to tell you this now. I just, I'm going to run with what I'm sensing in the spirit. There are people that deal with a spirit of rejection that are listening on the airwaves or are watching this right now on video. But God promises us that if you spend time in his presence, he doesn't reject you. So when you feel the spirit of rejection, you got to ask Jesus, where are you right now in this spirit of rejection? Because it's not Jesus, it's the enemy. And so the spirit of rejection is not from the Lord. See, God says, if you are with me, I'm with you and I'm not rejecting you. And he's telling that to the Israelites. I'm with you. It's an incredible picture and says in verse 12, I'll, I'll walk among you and be your God and, and you will be my people. You know, even with the Exodus 32, did I get it right this time, Kevin? I did. Exodus 32, the golden calf, like Aaron messed up. All the Israelites messed up. Even though they messed up, he said, I'm with you. Look, we feel the spirit of rejection because we've done some pretty dumb things sometimes. We've done some pretty bonehead things. And we're like, oh, there's no way that anybody... Yeah, yeah. God says, I'm with you. I want to give you another chance. I want to walk among you. I want to be your God. I, I want to be... Like, I just want to be with you. I, I love this. It's like, it's like God just wooing us to Him. 
Shelly, can you go to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16? You know, I cannot not go there. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, look what the Apostle Paul says. And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God wants a relationship, not just with the Israelites, but he wants one with us every single day. He wants us to experience his presence. And so he says, look, if you turn to me, I'm going to give you an abundance of food. I'm going to give you peace in the land. And then to the Israelites, he says, and by the way, I'll be with you. I'm not going to send somebody else. I will be with you. And then he says in verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, your God. Remember, by the way, do you remember what I did? I brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. So I want to just put on here is that the presence of the Lord, it always, 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 you get to experience freedom. So like, why wouldn't you sign your name to this? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't like grapes. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'd rather get eaten by a bear. I don't know. Maybe I like, maybe I like my own stuff. And that's the challenge that the Israelites are facing because you watch, it says in verse 14, but God says, okay, okay, look, I'm going to give you something else though. You know, here's what happens if you, if you don't obey me. If you don't obey me and observe all these commands, watch this in verse 15, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and you do not observe all of my commands, Kevin, how many commands? 613. Rich? He, he got it right. I think he's got it wrong so many times. I don't even know what the right answer is anymore. <laughs> he's correct. Okay, he's correct. Okay, good job. And if you don't obey and observe all of these things and then you break my covenant, now watch what it says in verse 16. Then this is what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> I don't think you want to have this dialogue with God. I will bring terror on you. Uh, wasting disease and fever. You know, that, that, that could be when you study Wearsby stuff or MacArthur stuff or Nelson's. That could be tuberculosis. That could be leprosy. It could be things that we've never even heard of. And these diseases and fever, they're going to come and they're going to cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will sow your seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. Oh, well, that, that sounds great. Okay. Uh, okay. So we're talking about if I don't do this, I'm going to get terror and disease. Okay, so it's a matter of obedience and disobedience. It's good. And he says this in verse 17, I'll turn against you so that you'll be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. They're chasing me. No, you idiot. There's nobody behind you. But it'll get to the point literally in your life that when you disobey the Lord and you start functioning in your own flesh, you'll start hearing and seeing things that are totally false and of Satan. In Leviticus 26, 17, <laughs> I would like to see this in a movie, wouldn't you? They're getting me! I don't know why I think that's funny. No. All right, now watch this in verse 18. But if after these things you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. Okay. So now all of a sudden, seven times for sins, right? And you're going to be, you're going to be disciplined. Okay. 
Doesn't sound too encouraging, but it continues on in verse 19. I'll break down your strong pride. I'll make your sky like iron and your land like bronze and your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. Why? Because the land is like bronze and the sky is like iron. You know what that means? No rain and you got some seriously hard ground. You will literally get no fruit. And then you know what that means? You're being disciplined and oh yeah, there's the abundance is no longer there. Verse 21, it says, if you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, I will multiply your plagues seven times for your sins. Oh, guys. Wow. Are you still considering? (laughs) I'm going to throw out some plagues. Who wants a plague? Nobody wants a plague. But yet when we say I'm willing to disobey the Lord, that's what we're bringing on ourselves. Scripture continues on. I will send wild animals against you. Remember the whole lying in the field, no wild animals? Now it's the opposite. They will deprive you of your children, they'll ravage your livestock, and reduce your numbers until your roads are deserted. People are going to be so afraid of these wild animals that no longer are you even going to walk down the street. One commentator says there's going to be extreme economic downturn because of your disobedience, and now animals are running loose. And they're, yes, they're going after your kids, they're going after your livestock, and nobody wants to leave their, their tents. Verse 23, if in spite of these things, you you do not accept my discipline, but act with hostility toward me, then I'll act with hostility toward you. I'll also, here it is again, I will strike you seven times for your sins. My goodness. And oh, by the way, hostility, war, I'm going to bring it to you now. I'm pretty sure Moses is making it clear to his people. Verse 25, I'll bring a sword against you to execute the vengeance of the covenant. Though you withdraw into your cities... I will send a pestilence among you and you will be delivered into your enemy hands. I don't want you to miss this one. So like, I think a lot of times like, okay, we're, we've left the enemy. They can't find us. We're in our little cities. We're safe. Yeah. Well, when you bring like 2 million people into a city, you know what happens? And you have to take care of literally all of the bodily functions. God uses that to bring a pestilence to everybody. Like you think you're creating a safe environment, but really what you're doing is you're putting yourself in an airplane with a lot of sick people. (laughs) Does that make sense? Like you're just moving an environment and God's not even there. And then, oh, by the way, you will be delivered into the enemy hands. They're going to find you anyway. When I cut off your supply of bread, it's going to be so bad that 10 women have to use the same oven. Your ratio of food per person is really low to the point where like 10 ladies are now working in the same place because you don't you don't have enough to eat. In fact, you're not even going to be satisfied with what you've been given. And just in case you haven't heard me again, Scripture continues on in verse 27. Uh, And in spite of this, you still don't obey me, but act with hostility toward me. Man, you'd think we'd figure this out. I will act with furious hostility toward you, and I will also discipline you. Here we go again. Seven times for sins. Just throw it in there again. Hostility is keep coming. So you got discipline, plagues, war, hostility. You will eat. Watch this one. This is really encouraging. Verse 29. You'll eat the flesh of your sons. You'll eat the flesh of your daughters. Cannibalism is actually going to take off. Well, I got no bread. What do I eat? Well, it's about a child. Like that's how bad it's going to be. But God says, I'm giving you an option. I will pour out my abundance of food. I will pour out the peace in this environment. And then my presence is going to be with you. Would you rather have that or terror or disease? Would you rather have that than then plagues, like, he spelled it out. Verse 30, there's a couple examples in the Old Testament, just so you know about cannibalism and Second Kings and Lamentations and Jeremiah. 
And verse 30 says, I'll destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and heap your dead bodies on the lifeless bodies of your idols. I will reject you. This line right here gives me the chills. I don't want to go into a whole lot of details, but this verse right here freaks me out. Historically, you guys, this is not a good verse. In verse 31, it's not good. And he's, he's relentless. I'll reduce your cities to ruins and devastate your sanctuaries. I will not smell the pleasing aroma of your sacrifices. Oh, I don't even smell anything. I will also devastate the land. We know about this, guys. So that your enemies who come to live there will be appalled by it. But I will scatter you among the nations and I will draw a sword to chase after you. Now, just so you know here. So your land will become desolate and your cities will become ruins. You guys remember about not honoring the Sabbath that we talked about? The Sabbath years and then even in the Jubilee years? This is what we're talking about. Remember this? The Babylonian exile. So he scatters them. Why? So that he can restore the land. He restores their land because they've been disobedient to what he's asking them to do. It's all because they just decided to stray away from the word of God. And scripture continues on in verse 34. And then he begins to talk through. There it is. Then I'll make the land up for its Sabbath years during the time it it lies desolate. And and then he says in verse 35, as long as it lies desolate, it will have rest. So I'm going to keep the people away, you away from the land because it needs to be restored. And oh, by the way, in verse 36, even those that are in exile, even those that I'm saying, I want you to survive, you're going to have crazy anxiety with your enemies. So like, even though you're in exile, you're going to be nervous the whole time. And in fact, the sound of a, a wind driven leaf We'll put them to flight and they're going to freak out because of a leaf. Sounds like the people running and fleeing from an enemy that's not even chasing them. And it says in fall, though, no one is pursuing them. They'll stumble over each other in verse 37. You'll perish among the nations in verse 39. Those who survive in the land of the enemies will waste away because of their sin. You know what happens when we're disobedient? Scripture calls it sin. Even in the Old Testament, it is called Sin, But praise the Lord in verse 40. I'm going to give you another option. Look, if you decide to go this way, I'm still going to give you one more out. But if you'll confess your sin and the sin of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility toward me in verse 41. And I acted with hostility toward them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And if their uncircumcised hearts will be humbled, and if they will pay the penalty for their sin... Then I will remember my covenant. Now, this is weird. He flips it with Jacob, with Isaac and Abraham. Instead of saying Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he reverses it. But he says, I'll remember my covenant regardless if you don't do this conditional covenant with Moses. I will still trump you being an idiot with you still wanting to be disobedient. I've told you what I want to give you. And I know that it's going to happen. And you know what he says? I still want to give you another chance. The land that was abandoned, I'm going to help you. In spite of all this, I will not reject you or abhor them. I'm not going to destroy them. I will not break a covenant with them since I am the Lord their God in verse 44. But now watch in 45. He says, in spite of all this, I'm sorry, for their sake, I will remember the covenant with their fathers. In verse 45, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. You know what's so awesome about this? He says, I've told you what it can look like. I told you how it's actually going to unfold. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a second chance. Yeah, the cross is our second chance. To the Israelites, it doesn't make sense that God would continually pour out his love for them. Like constantly we're messing up. Con- constantly. And so do we.
In the Old Testament, they had the blood. They had to go for Day of Atonement. And they had to sacrifice the animals that they could be forgiven. And now they don't have to do that every day. They don't have to do that every month. They don't have to do that every year. Why? Because Jesus said, I, I am your second chance. I will now give you hope. And it simply just comes through the blood. You know, there's so much here. But my prayer is, and I hope that you hear this, is that God is always giving us another option. And so today, my, my prayer is, is, Turn to Him in that option. Don't go through the terror and disease and the plagues and the war and hostility. Just go straight. Just go straight here. He'll honor and bless you for it. All right, guys, thanks. Leviticus 26 is in the books. We'll talk to you tomorrow.